I want people to feel confident because people ride better when they feel confident. So um, you are I'm listening not the to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. See how big they're going to jump. That is not my style. Um, I really like to to build people up a little bit um, so that they feel like you know they understand what they're doing. Their horses understand. Um, Maybe that's where that's that's what I say with my teaching style would be. I, I I really make sure people understand, um, or try to at least what their horses are thinking in the moment. Like how is your horse going to be better in this situation? Um, and start to kind of make that more of a priority. And I'm I'm very into the horse's understanding. When the horse understands the horse will be more successful. When the horse is more successful, the rider will do less. Welcome to the Practical Horseman podcast, featuring conversations with respected riders, industry leaders, and horse care experts. The show is co-hosted by Practical Horseman editors, and our goal is to inform, educate, and inspire. I'm Julia Boutenhaus, and this week's episode is with international inventor Megan Kepferly. Though she was not born into a family of equestrians, Meg has always been drawn to horses. After years trying to convince her family to let her start riding, she finally began lessons at a nearby stable. Within a few years, she found her way into the barn's instructor program, progressed from pony hunters to equitation to jumpers, and then learned about eventing. She took her horse to their first schooling event, won, and never looked back. A decade later, Meg found herself in central New Jersey working for an up-and-coming event rider in the area. That job launched her into professional grooming, which led her to work for Sinead Halpin for five years. In 2012, Meg became the chef to keep for the Area 2 Young Rider eventing team and championed three consecutive medal-winning teams. Coming from the backyards of horse riding schools, Meg understood the need for easily accessible quality education from high-performance athletes for kids and amateurs of all abilities, not only for those seeking the top ranks of eventing, but also those simply wishing to learn how to produce confident, safe, and enjoyable partnerships with their horses. This inspired Meg to start her business, Kepferly Equestrian, which offers programs to riders of all ages, abilities, and financial backgrounds. And, in order to be the best role model and trainer she can be, Meg set fierce goals of her own. Climbing up the ranks of eventing, she has reached the four-star level with her off-the-track thoroughbred gelding, Anakin, and now has a goal of competing in the five-star at the Kentucky three-day event in 2024. The road with Anakin has not always been a smooth one, though, as he was diagnosed with kissing spines. For the first year and a half after purchasing Anakin, Meg worked to properly treat and maintain the disorder. She built his training and conditioning program around stretching and core strengthening, building muscle over his top line and abdomen. Through Meg's hard work and dedication and the support of her veterinary team, Anakin is comfortable, successful, and has continued to compete. In this episode, Meg dives into her journey with Anakin and explains the program she's developed to keep him happy, healthy, and competitive. She also speaks about her training philosophy for both horses and students and gets candid about the financial aspect of the sport. Before we dive into the podcast with Meg, I'd like to thank the sponsor of this week's episode, Bowringer Angleheim, and share their message. 
Veterinarians, farriers, trainers, riders, grooms. Everyone plays a role keeping horses at peak performance. Bowringer Angelheim is proud to provide the tools to help your team keep them healthy. Learn more at bowringer-angelheim.com. Now, enjoy the episode with Meg. Okay, so I have Megan Kefferly here. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. I really appreciate you taking the time. Of course. So I always like to start off by just getting a little bit of background. And my first question is, how did you get interested in horses and riding to begin with? So it's a little unclear, but I think when I was really little, I was always kind of gravitating towards, you know, my little ponies. And there's this picture my mom has of me when I was really little. Um, We went and visited um, an Amish farm. There's a lot of Amish around where I grew up. And uh, I was petting the horse and I don't know. I just remembered this. I don't have any real memory of that instance, but it's always been kind of the thing that my mom says this is when it started. But I think it was because my best friend growing up, her mom rode and her aunt rode. And so that was my first kind of exposure to actually getting on a horse. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it, it was a little magical because it was so out of the realm of anything my family was involved in. And so I always right. had this kind of draw to the unknown. Um, so I don't really know exactly, but that was probably how I got started into wanting to ride was my best friend. It was, it was in your, in your blood a little bit with your, you said it was totally. your, your aunt. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 my, my mom, the only horses in my family, um, my mom grew up on a farm in Washington state and they had like mm-hmm. farm horse, you know, like work horses basically. <laughs> um, right. and so, yeah, it was kind of obscure how I, how I just kind of be- came as a little kid obsessed with horses, yeah. but it, it, ever since I can remember, um, you know, my whole room was horse, horse, everything horse. So <laughs> It's amazing how that happens. We're just drawn to them. It's like we're born with it. It's true. It's really true. And it's, you know, interesting now and kind of at the age where all of my friends have kids and my fiance has kids and um uh, kids are so hot or cold with horses. Um it's it's kind of interesting. So, um yeah. like my my uh fiance's kids doesn't really they don't really care about the horses at all. Right. Um and, and <clears throat> it's I don't know, it's funny. Every kid's so different. Yeah. Yeah, my I'm one of four and uh two of the four got it. The other two, um, kind of the same thing. Not not mm-hmm. very <laughs> Yep. Didn't didn't have the bug for it, just couldn't really be bothered with it. But me and my sister, we couldn't stay away from him, so I totally get it. Yep. Um so what is it about horses and the sport that has kept you involved for so long? Hmm. Um, I think yeah, my background is what has kept me so I think it's so ingrained in my, you know, core DNA that I had to work really hard for it since I was a little kid. Uh, it was never something that was just given to me. Um, <clears throat> and I was always kind of in a situation that it was far easier for me not to ride than ride. And I wasn't very good at it. (laughs) And, and, you know, I, all of my friends at the, um, barn grew up in horsey families and they'd been riding since they were little kids and they all had horses and, um, you know, they owned their horses and, 
um, I always felt like I was trying to catch up. Um, so I think that just little competitiveness in me has kept me trying, you know, my whole life. Um, and whereas interesting enough, uh, most of my friends that I grew up riding with don't ride anymore. Um, and I'm kind of mm. the only one, I'm the only professional out of all of us. And, um, and I, I was the last one to, to get a horse. <laughs> so it's just kind of <laughs> funny how I think it's just the competitive nature of, of me maybe. And mm-hmm. the situation that I was in, you know, kind of always feeling like I was not good enough. Um, and it kept me, you know, kept you motivated. I, I, yeah. Motivated. That's the word <laughs> motivated <laughs> to keep, to keep trying, you know, you know, I think that, uh, almost all of us as riders, we have that competitive nature in us that keeps us motivated other, you know, outside of just the love of horses. Um, I think it's kind of something innate to us. Yes, I agree. And it, and it shows up a little differently for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. you know what that competitiveness is, but, um, I do agree. Otherwise I think we'd quit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's a very, very demanding sport and career. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Actually, I read that um, when you were growing up, you used to watch VHS tapes of Karen and David O'Connor. Oh, yeah. That's how I kind of got um, into eventing um, because eventing wasn't really a thing where I grew up. And um, it it is now, which is awesome. But, you know, know, I started riding in the 90s, um, like the mid 90s. And I grew up at a lesson barn, a great lesson program, but it was... um, very humble and we did hunter hunter jumpers um and you know our big culmination uh i see i still want to call it event horse show was going to culpepper once a year um so we did a lot of local stuff and uh i liked it it was fun obviously it's all i knew um but i was always drawn to riding outside of the ring and um i would fox hunt the the master lived next door to us so and his wife was my music teacher in elementary school so they always let me come hunting Uh and i always loved being out of the arena and so um there was one lady joanne that did event at the starter level um and I don't even remember what it was called back then. And, and she invited me to come with her, um, once. And I, that's how I kind of got into it. And then once I did it one time, I was obsessed with learning about more, like learning more. Right. So that's when I started watching, you know, the Karen David, uh, videos and, um, I would watch thrills and spills, <laughs> Um, I don't know if you know that you, you, you're younger than me, I think, but, um, there's, <laughs> there's a video called thrills and spills, um, that was, um, a video compilation of like big five-star events, um, people, mm-hmm. you know, just little clips of people doing awesome. And then people yeah. like biting it. Um, right. And I thought that was so amazing. Uh, <laughs> Little do I was know. Was that like how. a YouTube thing? Oh no, I guess uh, no. YouTube, YouTube if that was in the nineties. <laughs> yeah, no, there was no internet. Uh, <laughs> this was pre-YouTube, pre-phones, pre-anything. So I'm dating anyway. myself. <laughs> yes, it's hilarious. I'm dating myself. I think is the real thing. But um, yeah. So you know, it again was kind of like this alluring, cool thing that I didn't really know much about, but wanted to learn as much as I could about. And I, we, you know, we had kind of like a hierarchical system in the barn and, 
you know, you worked your way up the ladder and you became, you know, junior riding instructors and then senior riding instructors. And, you know, he had a really good, um, program set up for us and, um, it taught us, you know, a lot of things. I could spend a whole hour talking about what that program gave me as a, you know, as a professional now. Um, but what it did was it gave me a platform to, um, to, get other people interested in the sport. So I reading books and watching videotapes <laughs> created an eventing curriculum, <laughs> um, for these little kids. And, um, we introduced it in camp and, you know, we're doing like little tiny things, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I kind of got started that way. Um, just completely grassroots, and you yeah. know, big grassroots and big dreams <laughs> with a big that's gap amazing. in the middle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of how I started eventing. Oh man. And actually speaking of mentors, you know, I could say, or you could say maybe Karen and um, David are mentors for you in one way. So I wanted to ask, you know, including them, who are some of the mentors that have been in your career throughout, wow. your, throughout your life? Yeah. So I mean, Karen and David, you know, at that point were, I mean, they still are celebrities, but like at that point they were, you know, such a, a force and, um, they, so I would say they're mentors for the growth of the sport. I think, um, definitely, at least from my perspective, um, they learned how to market, you know, and, and that was huge, um, at that time. You know, now everyone markets themselves, but at that time, you know, it's, you know, especially before the internet, like there's no way to really know what anyone right. else is doing unless you're reading a newspaper mm-hmm. or magazine. Um, and to be in a newspaper magazine, you got to be winning. So um, that, that kind of, you know, was more of a global scale for me. Um, and I, you know, I, again, as like a little kid, I, I looked up to, you know, the people that I met at the Washington International Horse Show. show. <laughs> Margie Goldstein Ingle was my idol in the 90s. Um, yeah, and she's yeah. still, still amazing. Um, you know, I met her probably the first year I ever rode. And, um, uh, you know, I had her poster on my wall. And, you know, I wanted to be her, um, even though I'm like twice her size. But, <laughs> she, you know, I thought I was going to be a show jumper. Um, that's what I thought I was going to be. Um, and you know, once I actually started eventing, um, even still like in school, I was, I felt so far removed from, from the sport, you know, I was really, I I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I was really kind of just like out there, like trying my best. I didn't, you know, I was throwing stuff against the wall to see what would stick and, um, somehow found myself in England. Um, after college and working for Helen Bell, mm-hmm. who, um, e- evented at the top level in the nineties. Um, it, interesting enough was in one of those thrills and spills videos. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and she kind of got me a little perspective. Um, you know, I was at a place that, um, she, she did not compete at that level anymore. She, but she had a sales program. And so, you know, I didn't have a lot of skills as far as finesse goes, but I knew how to stay on. And (laughs) that's important when you're riding horses. And so I had a lot of opportunities that I wouldn't have had in the United States there. And she kind of exposed me to the British side of eventing and, 
that's when I kind of really put myself into perspective of where I was and where the you know best riders were and what they were doing and kind of what the sport really was. Um, you know, so at that point, you know, William Fox Pitt was at the, you know, just beginning like the meat of his career. And, um, I got mm-hmm. to meet him and, and so he was definitely someone to idolize it and still is obviously, but at that time, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, rubbing shoulders with all these riders that, um, yeah. are like, you know, going to the Olympics and, and, you know, that the American riders are, are idolizing. And so I really wanted to live in England. Like I really wanted to stay there. Um, but I couldn't because of visas and money and, you know, life. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, now my idols are, you know, my friends, um, you right. know, when I was, finally doing this grooming, um, you know, working for Sinead, I still look up to Sinead and her approach to this sport and the approach to training. Um, I use it as kind of my beacon all the time. Um, you know, Andrew Nicholson is still probably the only rider I still, um, have, uh, what's the word that I'm still starstruck (laughs) around, (laughs) uh, you know, you kind of meet all your idols eventually at this sport. Um, they start to become your coaches and, um, you know, but, uh, he is still, I still get nervous around him. Um, but you know, I think the U S has produced, you know, my friends that, um, were coming up with Sinead are now, you know, the top of the sport and they are just, you know, amazing, amazing riders. And it's so cool to be able to be their friend and, you know, still feel like they have so much to, to teach, um, me and everybody else. Um, you know, I, I ride with, um, Will Coleman a bit in the winter time. Um, I love the way he rides and takes care of his horses and his wife, Katie is one of my good friends. And, um, you know, their program is amazing. And I idolize that program. Um, I, I try to aspire to that program. Um, even though the caliber of horse they have is like bar to none, um, and, and <clears throat> obviously Boyd is amazing and I've gotten to ride with him a bunch and he's got a, a very relaxed approach to, um, teaching, which really is good for me, um, for cross country because I get so wound up. Um, mm-hmm. so he's helped me a lot. Um, whereas Coleman is a little bit more methodical in his teaching and, and keeps me a little bit more accountable. <laughs> Um, and then Tammy, you know, I can't really answer this question. I don't think many people could answer this question right now without bringing up Tammy. Um, she, (laughs) I was thinking about this actually a few minutes ago and I was going to say she kind of, you know, a few years ago came out of nowhere, but it's been like 10 years. Um, time flies. Um, but Tammy has just noticeably been working really hard and grinding and, getting better and better and better every year. And, um, she is, you know, not 25 years old and she has made an amazing business on the West coast and she's really proud of it, which I think is awesome. And she is such an inspiration to, I think everybody, I think she's an inspiration to her friends. Um, and I think she's an inspiration to, 
younger riders um, and kids just starting out, um, women. Um, she's she's just um, for me personally. You know, I resonate with her a bit because I am a little bit older, um, starting off at the top levels, and it makes it feel like it's still achievable. Um, she's got, she's, I think 10 years older than me. So, uh, 10 years ago, she was probably, she was a little bit more doing a little bit more than me, I think, but, uh, you know, it makes it feel possible. And she's also hilarious. Uh, <laughs> she's really easy to get along with. She's really the first person that will laugh at a mistake that she's made. Um, she's really approachable and, um, she just keeps, keeps inspiration, you know, just at reach. Um, and, and it really, especially this year, obviously everyone knows Tammy now cause she won Kentucky, but she deserved, <laughs> she deserved that win. You know, that was like who I was rooting for from the beginning and mm-hmm. she deserved it and nobody else really deserved it more this year than she did. So I'm really excited for her and what's coming, but, um, she definitely, uh, she, she makes me she makes the hard days a little bit easier right now. Like if Tammy can do it, I can do it. (laughs) (laughs) She really is an inspiration. And she's, uh, I actually spoke with her for this podcast right after she won Kentucky. And she, like you said, she's just such a positive light. She is a wonderful person and it's really great to have, you know, women in the sport like her, that younger riders can look up to and think to themselves that they can do it, you know? A hundred percent. And, mm-hmm. and she's genuine, you know, and it's not that totally. not everyone's genuine, but she's very, um, very much herself. Like she, she knows who she is and she's proud of who she is and she admits her faults and works on them publicly and, you know, tirelessly. And it's really just nice to see and nice to see that it's paying off for her. So a few minutes ago, you mentioned, um, you know, British eventing when you were over in England mm-hmm. and, um, so do you find that there's a big difference between British eventing and American eventing? Um, that's a good question. Do I find it? Um, yes and no. Um, I mean, I think yes, in the logistical sense of the sport. Um, I think the upbringing in England, at least what I saw, um, like the kids that would come for lessons and stuff, the caliber of riding is a little bit different. <laughs> you know, it just the, the the priorities that they have as young riders are different than the priorities that I was brought up on. Um, I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong, but um, they are taught to be brave very young. Um, mm-hmm. And then the, you know, the technical parts and the, the theory and all of that um, comes a little bit later. Whereas I feel like in America, you know, the programs bringing up young, young riders. And, um, I'm talking not like young riders going to young riders, but like kids learning how to ride. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. You know, most of us start in hunters, right? Like it's, it's, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and it's a little bit more handholding. The horses are a little bit more, uh, trained or old. <laughs> um, you know, you don't see a lot of little kids eventing, um, you know, right. it's, it is a little different that way. Um, okay. you know, at the top of the level, uh, I mean, I think, I, I think everyone would agree with me when I say that, you know, America has gotten so much better. Um, 
the caliber at the top is, you know, it's not the same for people, you know, on every team. So that's awesome. I just think we've worked really hard and now we're, you know, I think we're able to stand against a lot of them. Um, but you know, I think it's a, you know, it's a little different there. It's a little easier, I think logistically, maybe financially. I don't know. I, I think it's easier to keep horses there. Um, it makes it hard. I think the financial aspect in the United States really hurts us. Um, right. Yeah. You know, I think it, it is a little different that way. And okay. I also think gotcha. the sport is, is a little bit more um, mainstream there, you know, as a culture yeah. and here it's not, <laughs> not yeah. at all, you know? So it just, it's a little different for sure. And I want to get into your horses next. So you have Anakin, um, <laughs> yes. who you've had for quite some time. Um, yes. And you had an article with us, with Practical Horsemen, a few years ago about him because he was diagnosed with kissing spines. But through, you know, you guys really worked through that and you were able to still have a lot of competitive success with him. So I was wondering what your experience with that is and with him. Yeah. Um, so he, yeah, has significant um uh, kissing spines and he, um, obviously has been performing at the advanced level for, I think four years now. Um, and listen, it, it's something to manage for sure. And it's not, you know, one size fits all. Um, I'm not saying that you should just, you know, every horse with kissing, kissing spine is going to be an advanced horse, but Mm -hmm. The hard thing, and I, I do think there has been a little bit of a shift um, um, with the attitude towards kissing spine, but um, unfortunately, not you know, not as much as I as I would have hoped at this point. Um, mm. But it's so specific, and so um, it's it has everything to do with management. And, you know, I think as a person buying a horse, you have to be realistic of what you can manage. And I think a lot of people are are moving towards kissing spine surgery. And again, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. um, But, uh, you know, I've talked to the surgeon here and um, not that Anakin was ever a candidate for it, more as a curiosity. We kind of were just in this kind of intellectual conversation because I've kind of become a poster child for kissing spine. And <laughs> it is so dependent on how you manage it afterwards. Um, and so I feel like kissing spine is one of those things. It's just a, a condition of a horse and it's going to be a different, different levels for every horse, but you can always make it better. <laughs> you can always make it better no matter what. Like even me right now with this horse, I've managed for however long I could probably still make it a little better. And, um, it has everything to do with just committing to like, this is how my horse needs to be worked. I need to make sure I have this kind of conversation with my vet. I need to be Mm -hmm. on top of, you know, of my saddle fit. I need to, you know, just be more aware of what is happening. I mean, I just feel like it's 100% manageable in most cases. And, you know, not every horse with kissing spine can do the job that Anakin does, but I actually argue that horses with kissing spine need a job more than horses without it because their back needs to be Mm, strong. Interesting. Um, you know, the, the worst thing I do for this horse is give him time off and I have to give him time off because 
his back is not his most, <laughs> his biggest problem, you know, like yeah. his, his feet are shitty thoroughbred feet and they need rest. And, um, <laughs> so I've had to learn the hard way. Like, you know, if he needs a month off after a season to, you know, co- you know, like most event horses get a break, he needs to stay walking or aqua treading or whatever to not lose his top line. And, Otherwise, it takes so long to get him back going after a break. Um, and, right. you know, now I've I've had him, God, six or seven years. Um, and so I, I've kind of, you know, made all of the mistakes <laughs> and learned exactly what I need to do to keep his back feeling good. And honestly, um, his back still gets a little sore, like the very height of the season when he's working really hard. Um, but you know, I'm not saying it's not, you know, something that I manage, but it's, it's, I've made it a priority his whole life and his back is great for as terrible of his x-rays are. Um, and I've actually bought a young horse uh, a few years ago for a lot of money that had kissing spine and maybe I was dumb Mm -hmm. to do that. Um, but I just feel like, I can manage it, you know, if they're You're like a pro at it now. Yeah. <laughs> and then I get so mad when people discount horses because of it. But, um, you know, it's, you know, you, people read the x-rays and they don't read the clinical exam. Um, and that's so important, mm-hmm. you know, I, I haven't really had that many negative experiences with horses with kissing spine. And usually like when somebody comes to me with a specific issue, I'm like, that sounds exactly like kissing spine. Have you ever looked at their back? You know, and I'm not going to say I've got a hundred percent track record, but, um, you know, it's, I don't know, 95%, right. Usually, um, you know, horses that rush fences or stop at fences or, you know, horses that swap leads, all of these things that, can be misconstrued as behavioral issues or training issues. Um, mm. I, you know, look at their back. <laughs> just right. look at their back. Yeah. They might just need their back injected one time and they might be fine. Or, you know, once every couple years. Yeah. You know, um, in the beginning of Anakin's life, I, I, or life, competitive life with me, I probably did it once every year and a half. Um, mm-hmm. and now I do it probably once a year. Um, He's older now. He's working harder, but, um, and that's more just as a preventative, you know, mm-hmm. so I don't get into the meat of my season and wish I'd done it. Um, right. yeah. but I think just like anything, you got to manage the horse. And, yeah. um, I think sometimes we put the horses into a box based on our expectations and goals. And we're not really thinking about, it doesn't matter if you want to, you know, be a trail horse or a dressage horse or a vent horse or a hunter. If the horse has pain somewhere, you got to address it and fix it. You know, you gotta, mm-hmm. you gotta make it better. Um, mm-hmm. and the best thing for a kissing spine horse is top line, right? It's work. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does his maintenance look like? I know um, you've just mentioned like the injections, but yeah, you know, beyond that. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, (laughs) I mean, if you want me to go through his vet records, I can go through that, but (laughs) for his, for his back, I mean, like I said, well, I'll inject it usually in the spring. Like I, I did it before Kentucky. Um, and it still feels pretty good. Uh, I thought he was getting a little back sore a couple weeks ago. Um, but it wasn't his back. It was his feet. Um, it's totally fine now. Um, so, um, 
you know, I'll shockwave him before an event, um, just to make sure he's feeling good. But, um, some people do mesotherapy. I actually haven't done that one time on him yet. Uh, I use MagnaWave um, religiously. I have a Beamer blanket. He stands on TheraPlate every day. You know, anything I can do to just relieve any type of arthritic pain he's feeling. Yeah. Um, I, I compare him to myself, honestly. Like, I have a <laughs> lot of arthritis and a lot of, you know, bad confirmation. And, you know, when I take the time to, you know, prepare before I have to do something hard. I feel so much better. Um, and that's how he feels too. He does a lot of walking, um, before I start working, I do a lot of cantering like out of the saddle before I start, you know, any type of real, um, collected work. Um, right. When you're on his back. Yep. Yeah, uh-huh. And, you know, if I know he's having a, a bad day, I don't, try to hammer him through it. I have found, you know, usually jumping helps, um, rather than hurts. Um, so, you know, dressage for him is tough. Um, mm. no matter how he's feeling in his body. So, um, that's not really, you know, a dressage saddle trying to make him do, you know, a bunch of collected work isn't going to really make him feel better unless right. he already feels well. So usually I put him in jump tack and let him go and, and stretchy and forward and happy and jumping little jumps kind of, mm -hmm. you know, round just so he starts to kind of move his back. And that usually makes him feel the best. Um, funny enough. So, <laughs> and I think probably a lot of people that have gone, you know, at upper levels with horses with kissing spine would probably agree with me. Um, you know, they kind of crack right. their back once or twice over a big oxer and then all of a sudden they feel great. Oh. And then, you some, <laughs> then you can put them together and get your half passes and your flying changes easily. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but he's really like a long horse. Like he's not right. like compact and <clears throat> he's built um, to be not this. <laughs> uh, it's kind of amazing what he does, honestly. Um, so... You know, I got, I take his confirmation really into consideration mm -hmm. when we're choosing what we're doing, but, um, right. you know, I kind of let him guide me a bit. Yeah. What was it like for you when he first got the diagnosis? Like, was that a scary moment for you? And, oh and gosh, how did you yeah. move forward? You know? Oh, I wish I was lying when I said, uh, I cried in the woods for like 45 minutes. I think I actually called Hannah Sue, um, Burnett because they're mm -hmm. Holberg. Um, she's married now. Um, that, cause she had a little thoroughbred and, uh, Nike that had kissing spine and I knew that. And so I called her like, <laughs> she's the one that talked me off the ledge. Um, and I called Jan Benny, um, in midair had really bad kissing spine. And I knew that, um, I just needed, I needed to build my community, um, quickly. Cause I was, I was falling from, from the sky. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, my vet who is, um, funny enough, Jan Henriksen, he's, um, very dry and I wouldn't say super emotional and we actually complement each other very well because I am very, <laughs> very emotional. So he, um, he made, he tried to make a, he tried to make a joke in the moment. I did not think it was funny. Now it's hilarious. Um, he told me he wasn't going to let me see the x-rays unless I promised I wouldn't cry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was terrible. I, I was scared because I, um, 
had never had to deal with it before. I mean, it was just not really something that people thought about um, all the time. And I knew he was probably going to have some, like he's long in his back and he was always back sore, but he was still performing, you know, well at a pretty high level at that time. I think he was going intermediate when I found it. Um, so I was expecting something. I just wasn't expecting you know, every spine or every vertebrae. Yeah. In spine. yeah. Um, but you know, you deal with it, you take the blow, you ingest, and then you make a plan. And that's what we did. And, uh, you know, we were dealing with a blank slate at that point. So we had so many things to try and, you know, I, I felt, I felt pretty positive about it. And, Jan had told me, you know, the best advice she ever got was ride him like he doesn't have kissing spine. Like you can't really baby them in their work because they'll never make them work and then they'll never get stronger. And so, right. um, that was great advice. Um, and I still use that, you know, I'm, you know, not meaning that you hammer them, but like, you gotta like make them you know, go forward. Like they're at least with him, um, he's a little behind the leg all the time. Um, he's very, very lazy and, um, I'm sure his back has a lot to do with that. Uh, but it's also his personality. Um, so, you know, I start every, every time I, you know, after I first found out, I was like, is it his back? Is it his back? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta kind of push through a little bit with a, with a strategy. Um, you know, it's definitely, you want to build, right. You don't want to go all the way to the top of the mountain. And, and I think people underestimate how long that takes to develop a back, um, especially in yeah. a long, weak horse. Um, you know, it takes years to really get them strong enough. So mm-hmm. I had a pretty good foundation on him. Um, he had gotten a lot stronger over the you know year or two that I'd had him. So I was already in a pretty good position. But um, yeah, it takes time. It takes time and patience and commitment. But um you know, it's just like anything else in horses that you're dealing with, you know, most horses mm-hmm. have some, something to manage. Um, mm-hmm. and honestly, like this is one I think is very manageable. Um, and it makes you better, a better rider because you can't really shortcut, you know, like you got to really mm-hmm. do your homework and, and, and really build the foundation, you know, with the horse and keep the foundation yes. going. Um, so it, it makes you better and it makes me feel like, I can now do it again and again and again, you right. know, like I yeah. feel like I can, I feel okay taking on horses that have bad backs because I have enough tools to help them. Um, yeah. You have, you have plenty of experience with it now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. And how is he doing now? I know you said you were at plantation last week, which was a total wash because of the, the hurricane. Total I know. But was he, wash. <laughs> so was he, he up actually, there with you? He actually, I actually ended up having to scratch him because he came mm-hmm. up a bit sore, uh, on Wednesday, um, okay. right, be- right before we left, um, which was a, a bummer. Um, he's a little bit on borrowed time right now, not because of his back. Um, he's always kind of been on borrowed time since the day I bought him. Um, when I vetted him, they told me not to buy him. <laughs> uh. So, um, but I did anyway, cause I loved him and he's been amazing, but, um, he, yeah, he's got a bunch of, you know, arthritis and problems and I take care of them the best that I can. And, you know, I'm always making him as comfortable as possible and he still is doing the job. Um, 
he just is, you know, you got to take care of the old ones a little bit. And he's not that old in years, but his body has, is old. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, my plan with him, if, if I can, you know, he feels great now, of course, he's totally fine. Um, but, you know, the season, the schedule of the season is always really tough when, you know, you need to skip one in the middle of the the meat of the season, it's kind of hard to reroute. So I've got my, my plan B for this season. And, um, if we can do it and he feels happy and he's still sound and happy, then our goal is to go to Terra Nova four star, um, in a November. Um, and you know, my goal is to qualify him for Kentucky next year. And if he tells me his body can't do it, then, um, you know, I'll retire him and, you know, give him, give him some downtime and try to find a young rider for him next year. Yeah. I already, I already told him, you know, if he can get me to Kentucky, um, you know, next, next season, you know, spring season, that's going to be his last season at the level. Um, he's, you know, he's been going for a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's been going for a while and, and he's, you know, Kentucky this year, he was, that was the best show he's ever, ever had. So, you know, I know he's still happy, but sometimes I don't know what's, what's harder to deal with when they're still happy and doing the job and their body starts to tell you it's time, or if their brain starts to tell you it's time, but their body's still fine. You know, it's always the hard, hard balance, um, trying to figure out when the right time is to, to stop. But, Right now we're still going, uh, we're still going and we're going to see where we can get this season. And, um, you know, obviously my goal is to, to do a five-star. Uh, I think he's very capable. Um, he's got like a heart of gold and he's a phenomenal jumper. Um, but he only has so many gallops left in him. So, um, yeah. you know, if he's, if he needs to stop, it's time and that's fine. I've had enough time to kind of wrap my head around it. Um, and, you know, every year, I think everyone kind of feels this way. They bring their horses out. How are they feeling? You know, how are they feeling after these gallops? How are they feeling after these, you know, horse shows? And when they get to be seasoned old pros, you kind of have to take it one show at a time and just wait and see how they're doing. <laughs> I mean, I've never mm-hmm. had a horse go this long at the, you know, and this is my first advanced horse. So, um, you know, I, he doesn't really owe me anything. He's done he's done so much and honestly if he hadn't had such a great run at kentucky i probably would have already decided he's 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 done what he's needed to do but he felt unbelievable um this year yeah he wasn't ready uh, (laughs) yeah he was so happy and and so so awesome i mean he's just such an awesome cross-country horse um so you know it's one day at a time with this guy at this point um and you know it's it's I couldn't be more, more pleased with him. You know, we, we always wish we have a little bit more time. Right. But, uh, you know, he really doesn't owe me anything else. He's and such a good you horse. Speak about so Kentucky in the spring, would you aim for the five star there? That's if the goal. In, he, yeah, yeah. I don't okay. need to keep running four stars with him. Like he's done it. He's done three, um, and done them well. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, I've made mistakes, uh, <laughs> which is why I'm still trying to qualify. (laughs) Um, but he, um, you know, like in this last year at Bromont, I, my stirrup fell off my saddle and I had too many time penalties and that's why we don't have our qualifications yet. So, um, that was a little frustrating. (laughs) I can imagine. I can imagine. Oh, so frustrating. Um, 
And then, uh, yeah. So if, if, if we can get qualified this season, I'll, you know, try to get it, get him to Kentucky next year. And if I don't get the qualification this season, then, you know, he doesn't need to do another four star in the spring. He just, um, hopefully, you know, my dream of dreams, like this is like the ultimate young rider horse. Like I would love to see this horse go to young riders. Um, Mm. he is such, he's honestly, that was probably what he was meant to do. Um, (laughs) is be a young rider horse, but unfortunately got stuck with me. Um, so that would be amazing if I could find a kid to take him two star or three star, or even yeah. just get a bunch of experience and learn how to ride, you know, forward and be okay. Not mm-hmm. winning the flat. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's, he's, he's got a lot to teach, teach the, you know, some younger riders Yeah, and he's only 14. And, so yeah. And speaking of this, you know, you just mentioned this oopsie that happened at Bromont with your, with your (laughs) stirrups. So when, you know, this sport, it's so unpredictable and stuff like that just happens and there's nothing you can do about it, you know? So so when something like that happens and it, you know, it, like you said, it's so frustrating. How do you deal with something like that? And how do you like push past it? Um, well, I have to say, you know, every year that goes by you get a little bit but you a little bit um tougher at letting letting things just kind of roll off um you know it is easier um how do you i mean man every every situation is so different and every every blow feels a little different um that that was more frustration than anything right like it it was it was such a stupid thing um and it took uh, it was just ridiculous it was like a it was like a skit um (laughs) uh and I'm like I am not Mark Todd I I there was no way I was gonna get around that there was just no way I would have I just not gonna get around a four star with one stirrup I just can't do it um just not going to happen. Uh, I was way, way too early in the course. So, um, that was frustrating. I was mad at myself cause I couldn't do it. <laughs> I was yeah. mad at myself because I couldn't, you know, get it back on fast enough. Um, but you know, you, you have to process them, you know, and I think you get, you have your initial reaction, whatever emotion you feel anger, usually for me, um, or frustration. And then, you have to put yourself a little bit into perspective real fast, right? Like, it's like, all right, you can't change it. It is what it is. Now you have to kind of put it away and figure out how you're going to move forward. Um, because I mean, I think even at the lower levels, people are, you know, we all experience the same, the same problems, right? They're just different, different levels of competing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, for me, I put a lot of weight on, what I can do with this horse because it affects my career. Um, it affects, you know, it, it affects a little bit my credibility. You know, if I can, you know, the more I can get done with him before I have to retire him, the better resume I have. Um, and when it's always my fault, <laughs> you know, I can't blame anyone but me. Um, so, <laughs> but at the same token, you know, regardless of how old I am, it's like you have to make mistakes and learn and, uh, you can't really avoid that part of this sport. Um, 
it, it it's going to come eventually. Yeah. So um, whether it's with him or the next one, <laughs> it's or the next one, you know, it's just going to it's going to have to happen eventually. Right. You can't, you can't know it all. And I actually had this conversation with one of my working students not that long ago. It's like, it's not like one day you're just going to wake up and you're going to be really good. <laughs> like you got to really going to struggle through it um, to get to the other side um, and, and recognize, you know, the little moments that you have made improvement and you are doing okay. And it's, it is okay. <laughs> like it is frustrating, but it's not the end of the world. Um, and it just wasn't meant to be, you know, and, and that's, you know, I, you know, at that point I was really on a timeline, like COVID really affected my timeline. I'm sure everyone feels this way. Um, you know, that was like the peak of my horse. Um, and it really affected his career and my career. And it was really hard to swallow, but you have to put it into perspective, you know, like it just is what it is. And, and, and there's not anything that you can do to change that moment. And now you have to kind of, okay, how can I prevent this from happening again? Well, one of it with me is to put my freaking lock on the stirrup bar so that the stirrup leather doesn't <laughs> fall off of the back of the saddle. If my horse has a bad jump, I mean, like, I'm sure what? you check that every time you get on now. <laughs> oh my God. And now, you know, I won't ride in a, in a saddle that doesn't have that little lock thing on it. I don't yeah. know what it's called, but um, I think a lot of the French saddles don't have that. I'm like, do you guys know what could happen? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's the point. I think it's a safety mechanism, but yeah. Uh, um, so it is, you know, you just have to, you do have to let it roll off you, you know, cause if mm-hmm. you don't, you carry around a lot of resentment and a lot of chips on the old shoulder Mm-hmm. And then you're just a miserable person. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's you, you try to you got to let it roll off you a little bit. And then, honestly, I've said this before in other interviews, and like it really helps to have friends. <laughs> mm-hmm. It really helps to have a community that you can, you know, whether it's within where you work or if you're not a professional, if you have you know, just friends that are doing the same thing or coach or I don't know. I You know, if I didn't have my friends who who, like I said, most of my friends in this industry are more experienced than me. Um, they sympathize a hundred percent because they've been there and they know it sucks, but yep, that's the sport, right? Like you keep, got to keep going. Like we hear you. We're sorry that happened. I can't believe that happened. They're genuinely concerned, but like, it's going to be fine. Like you're going to get through it, you know, keep going and then, you know, it'll be fine, you know, and it is fine. It is totally fine. And you know, if I never get to this, a five-star with this horse, it doesn't mean I'm never going to get to a five-star. It just, you know, it's just not m- what meant to, meant to happen. Um, yeah. and that's okay. It sucks. Totally sucks. Doesn't mean it doesn't suck, but, um, you know, I've, yeah, this horse, you know, skyrocketed my riding, um, right. you know, so I got to remember that and it is what it is, you know, if he <laughs> can't do it, he can't do it. Um, yeah. And we might get there and I might not be able to do it. <laughs> you, know I mean? like, oh, you know, I'm like, actually, this is a terrible idea. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He's awesome. It'll be fine. But, um, you know, there'll be more to come, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you got to lean on other people sometimes. Yeah. And, that, and that's also, it's one of those things you can't really avoid that. Um, if you're, if you're not leaning on, on someone else at some point in this sport, you're going to be, 
you're not going to be successful. I can say that with a hundred percent certainty, you know, very important to have, have your people around you. I hear that from, yeah, I think pretty much every writer I talk to is very, yeah. very important. And it makes and, you feel, uh, you know, like you're not alone, you know, and, and yeah. it's, this sport is so isolating sometimes. And the problems that you'd face with are so big sometimes. And, you know, emotional, sometimes, you know, dangerous and sometimes sad and sometimes, you know, whatever, financially terrible, whatever it is. Um, you know, they're, you know, everything that we do is like big, <laughs> you yeah. know, the hits are big, good hits are big. The bad hits are big. Um, mm -hmm. and you just, people aren't meant to, to do that on their own, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And mm. when you are at a big competition, do you have any kind of routine before you go in the ring? Maybe you check your, your, uh, Stirrup bars now. <laughs> Stirrup bars. Yes, I do <laughs> check those before I get on. Um, uh, I always, and when I'm at a big competition, I always put on the horse's boots. Um, or if like someone has done it for me, I reset them. Um, <laughs> I'm very anal that way. I think it's probably because I was a groom. Um, and it's just like, kind of like as a groom, I had a lot of, you know, methodic, I was probably honestly way more, um, anal about what my, my routine was when I was working for somebody else and for myself. Um, but mm -hmm. my tack is something that I have to check. I have to reset. I still, I do it even when I'm not showing, I just, I have to, I have to see it. Yeah. <laughs> I have to see it. I have to feel it. I have to adjust it and I might adjust it right back, but it's kind of like a weird neurosis that I have, um, you know, I've never really had anything happen uh, other than my stirrup obviously falling off. Uh, but um, just, you know, it's like kind of a mental check. Um, but other than that, no, I'm not really, I don't really have, you know, I have socks that I wear, but I, I don't really have any crazy superstitions. I've calmed down a lot. <laughs> I've calmed down a lot, a lot. Um, I was a little bit more high strung when I was starting out, but um, I'm a little bit less that way now mm -hmm. um, just kind of rechecking re everything is is something I have to do do you ever get nerves before you go into the ring and yes. how do you handle them if you do I complain why am I doing <laughs> this I ask other people like is this ever going to stop <laughs> why is this happening um yeah I 100% get nervous um I do not usually get nervous before dressage. I was nervous at Kentucky before dressage because it's a big stage. Um, but I was also fun nerves um, because it's not scary. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I'm uh, very nervous, yes. But at the same time, I feel, you know, when I feel prepared, the nerves go quickly. So, right. you know, if I'm doing something that I know it might be a little bit like, <laughs> maybe could have spent a little bit more time doing that, or I don't know, you know, it, it, on any horse really, I'm like, is this really going to go? Okay. You know, I just have to like, okay, <laughs> I need to focus on basics and whatever. But, um, for the big shows, you usually are going into those feeling ready, at least as ready as you can. And you have to remind yourself that you're ready. Um, I find a lot of comfort in 
being on a horse that I know really well, um, yeah. you know, that's something that gives me a lot of confidence. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we've, we've done a lot together and I've learned a lot. I've learned how to ride him better. Um, and I really felt like last year I really got a lot of, you know, I, ch- I tweaked some things, um, that allowed me to ride better, like just lighter and softer. And it worked so well. Um, and it really just brought me up that next kind of level of feel. And yeah, that, that's something that, um, you know, again, relationship of, you know, this horse six, six or seven years, you know, so it, you know, the first horse show on a horse, I'm very nervous because you have no idea mm-hmm. what they're going to do. Um, so predictability helps, but, um, you know, feeling prepared, um, really centers you. And I really, um, focus on, you know, when I'm feeling a little bit like butterflies or nerves or whatever, I just start moving. Like I start trotting or cantering or I, you know, I just have to kind of you know move mm-hmm. once my body is moving, my brain usually focus. And once I'm, you know, jumping or whatever, warming up, I'm usually okay. <laughs> I'm usually yeah. okay. Even if it, if I make a mistake or something, uh, again, because I, I you know, have somebody on the ground, you know, a coach or friend, um, just for that feedback, right. Just that little feedback is, is important. And I feel like some people might not need that or, or want it in that moment. Um, I definitely need that kind of bounce off, um, you know, just to, even if I'm not even hearing what they're saying, cause I'm blacked out nervous, <laughs> just knowing that there's somebody else here keeps me grounded to what's happening. And then I'm totally fine. Um, I've so, totally been there that blacked out nervous. Mm-hmm, yep. Like, I don't know <laughs> Nothing's what going saying, on around you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, totally I usually also that. try to make jokes. Um, you know, I used to, I like to cut ice a little bit break the ice, cut ice. That was weird. Uh, break the ice, um, you know, with a bad joke. That's usually something that I do, but, um, yeah, it's, it's taken time to kind of figure it out, but, Mm -hmm. you know, a little self-reflection and, you know, making sure that I'm breathing and all the things that anybody needs to do and their adrenaline gets a little too high. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to go into your training a little bit here. So and you just got back this morning from a lesson um, yes. with a student. So I wanted to ask if you have, or could you describe your teaching style? Hmm, that's a hard question. Um, <laughs> hmm, my teaching style. I like to think my teaching style is amazing. Um, I, don't know. I, I feel like my teaching style, I have a very kind of laid back, I think approachable personality. Um, so I'd like people to feel comfortable, um, when I'm teaching them, I try to bring good energy to my lessons, um, cause I want it to be fun. Um, and I'm, I, I would say I'm pretty positive in my teaching style. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. I've never really thought about what my teaching style is. What is my teaching style? Um, I don't know. Give me an example of a teaching style. <laughs> Give me an example. <laughs> I mean, style. I think you answered it great there. You know, you kind of <laughs> you mentioned it earlier with like 
you know, you said Will is when you train with him, he's a little more structured, but Boyd, he's a little looser. And now you're saying yourself, you just like to bring a positivity to the lesson. So you, that's totally yeah. Yeah, how I you say, can answer you know, that. <laughs> I, I want people to feel confident because people ride better when they feel confident. So um, I'm not the coach that you go to to with your kid to see how big they're going to jump. That is not my style. Um, I really like to to build people up a little bit um, so that they feel like, you know, they understand what they're doing. Their horses understand. Um Maybe that's where that's that's what I say with my teaching style. Would be. I, I I really make sure people understand, um, or I try to at least what their horses are thinking in the moment. Like, how is your horse going to be better in this situation? Um, and start to kind of make that more of a priority. And and I feel like um, I'm I'm very into people being the horse is understanding when the horse understands the horse will be more successful. When the horse is more successful, the rider will do less. Right. And, and that's kind of, you know, my, my teaching style. Um, you know, it's very, especially cross country. Um, a lot of people, you know, that come to me that I've never taught before. Like we do a lot of trotting, a lot of long rain, kind of just teaching them about their horse's balance and, you know, I want people to feel like they understand why they're asking what they're asking and when they're asking, because I feel like, you know, we teach how we learn. Right. And uh, as we've learned, as I've learned, um, you know, I, I am a very feel-based rider. Um, but there are things that really stick with me and it all has to do with how the horses are operating. Um, you know, without the rider. And, um, I really feel like it's important for people to prioritize their horses, understanding their job. And so that's kind of my, I think style. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. And it makes and people that actually safer. I mean, mm-hmm. it just makes everyone safer, you know, like, I just feel like there's a lot of really, um, I'm not gonna say bad, but just, the priorities are wrong. <laughs> the priorities are wrong. And, and that's when people make mistakes that are going to get them into trouble. Um, and so I just want to feel like people have a, a little bit more of a knowledge of, of what they're doing. Um, and their horses are doing it with less input from the rider, um, than there needs to be. Um, and position, you know, I try to work on people's position, um, because that obviously affects, the way that we ride and um it's hard to fix that even myself included like i've been riding my whole life and usually i have okay position but if i ride alone for a long time i'll all of a sudden go to a lesson i'm like what am i doing my friend holly my (laughs) friend holly came over and helped me jump last week and holly Payne, and i'm like i feel like I can't put my heels down. Like, what is going on? She's like, it's actually, you're like hunched over like an old lady. I'm like, what, what is going on? You know, like I haven't seen myself ride in a while. This is bad. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's making people a little bit aware, Mm self-aware. And that rolls into my next question. And you touched on it a little bit about the horse. Um, what would you say your training philosophy is for when you're riding and with your horses? Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely, um, similar, right? It's my number one priority 
always, um, sometimes maybe to a fault, uh, is that my horses are enjoying their job. Um, I really want them to be happy in what they're doing and want to do what I'm asking. Like if I have to make a horse do something, I'm not a very happy person. Um, it doesn't mean, you know, I don't have to put some hard boundaries sometimes. And, you know, when I know that I need to be a little bit tougher, I'll go ride with someone that is going to make me a little bit. Okay, come on. You know, um, you know, like with my young horse, Artie, I was, yeah, I know he's a little spooky and, you know, he's young and big and whatever. And I went and took a lesson with William Fox Pitt and it wasn't like he was making me beat him or anything, but he was like, okay, <laughs> like it's time yeah. to go. Now. Like it, I'm like, you're right. I know it's time. It is time. I wouldn't have come if it wasn't time. Um, but I, you know, sometimes need that little push, but, um, I, I really want my horses to be very rideable, very broke, um, and be able to be relaxed doing their job. Um, and sometimes that takes a lot of time. <laughs> I was just having uh, my friend Gus is a show jumper and we were just talking about our young horses and stuff. And he thinks one's kind of suited to eventing. And I'm like, I'll, you know, I'll take the horse and I'll train it. But I'm, I'm like, I'm not a catch rider. This is catch riding. I give people that can catch ride so much credit. Um, but it is not a skill that, I mean, I would do it, but I wouldn't be happy doing it. Um, I just can't, <laughs> I can't do it. Um, it's just, my head is like spinning the whole time. I love the training process. I love when the training process, um, you know, shows, um, you know, at the competitions, I love when, you know, you have a horse that takes time to do something and then all of a sudden they do it. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's why I'm still doing this job, you know, um, because every horse is so different and, they're all so impressive. Um, and I, and I, I, I really love, I don't know. I love the way that they think and I love trying to figure out the way that they're thinking and building that relationship. Um, because to mm -hmm. me, when the horses are really rideable, um, I feel super confident. I can really, when I'm at, the buttons are where I need them to be and how I want them to be, I can ride a lot better. <laughs> I can ride a lot better and I can, you know, I can get the results that I want. Um, and I feel good about doing it, you know? So that's kind of my training mm -hmm. approach is a little bit, um, maybe slower than some people, but, um, I think it pays off in the end way more. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have an exercise that you really like to practice at home when you're riding that you think strengthens your horses and keeps them fit and happy? Ooh, um, you know, the, for nothing like specific comes to mind. Um, other than I think what people, um, skip a little bit, like once their horses are going is just doing uh, very basic, uh, transitional work. Um, you know, mm -hmm. just literally going between walk, trot, canter, trot, walk, walk, canter, you know, canter, trot, mm -hmm. canter, walk, all of those transitions, um, and really focusing on, uh, on being correct, 
um, it's easy to skip that part, you know, and I, and that's kind of where I am now when I'm, I'm working on more detail work, um, you know, with Anakin, you know, he's trained now, you know, he gets very average scores on the flat. And the only way I'm going to get those scores better is in the details, right? It's in accuracy. It's in the transitions. Um, so, you know, working on just straightness and rhythm and being aware when I'm doing a downward transition that my horse is falling a little left or a little right, um, and, and teach them to carry themselves through those transitions. And it seems so basic and so easy, but it really is hard for them. Um, yeah, when you really, really important. start to think about it and then you can, you know, start to add in a little bit of terrain in that, you know, in the same, um, token and start to work a little uphills and downhills doing those transitional work. And you'll notice how much your horse's balance changes. Um, but you want them to learn, you know, how to find their feet a little bit, on terrain, um, without you having to hold them together so much. Um, so I would say that's something right now kind of current in my mind that I've kind of been like, Oh, we've kind of not really paid attention to this in a while. Mm -hmm. So it's the priority of the, it's the flavor of the week right now. (laughs) Uh, and you know, not doing one or two transitions. It's like doing like 20, 30, 40 transitions, And I think, you know, especially teaching people, they get so mad and so frustrated um, when they have a bad transition. But I'm trying to teach people, okay, that wasn't good enough. You're right. No, it's not. Now just just do it again and then do it again and do it again and do it again Mm -hmm. and do it again without having a big reaction, right? You don't have to get after them if they make a mistake. You want them to keep trying, right? And then reward them when they try, and then they'll tr- try harder, you know? So, um, you know, in, in so much of us, we just get so caught up in getting to the end goal yeah. that we forget about the little tiny things that actually yeah. make the end goal so much easier. Um, I think yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing. It's easy to forget actually how much strength and the, the horse needs to have proper transitions too. Totally. You know, when a horse is out of practice in transitions, it it's not going to take one or two tries to get it correctly. You no. know, they need to have, you know, do it, like you said, 20, 30, 40 times and build up that strength and then they become consistent. Totally. And, and I've got a horse going to um, dressage regionals next week and he's doing second level and first level and um second level is all walk canter canter walks which is hard so that's what i've been practicing and then the other day i'm like oh my god i haven't done a canter trot transition on this course in, in <laughs> yeah. weeks um I'm, and he like really it took him a second to figure it out because he's just been so you know we've been doing the same transitions and i'm like mm-hmm. oh my god um and it's really important they use completely different muscle groups um yeah going from canter to walk to then canter to trot um mm-hmm. so you know it's it's funny how how stuck in a way that you can get in your in your uh, riding so it's really important to keep things a little a little fresh yeah <laughs> <laughs> definitely yeah. i'm doing that i have um I'm a hunter jumper, but you know, uh-huh. it apply it applies through the disciplines. And I and I have a young one that I'm training right now. And um kind of the same thing happened to me the other day. I did a clinic with someone and his transitions just weren't coming out the way that <laughs> you know, the way that I had 
been riding them Uh for months and then kind of forgot about it. And I was like, hmm, I was like, I think he needs a little bit of a reminder. (laughs) We got to get back on top of these. (laughs) I know. It's a it's a it's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I have just a couple more questions for you to wrap up. Um, This one's a little bit of a difficult one, but what would you say is the hardest part of this sport for you? And it could be anything from emotionally to financially or physically. Um, But what would you say? Um, I think emotionally I'm, I'm okay. Uh, (laughs) I've, I've, I'm okay. Emotionally, it was a little rough start. Um, and physically it is very demanding, but again, I like working. I like being physical. It's definitely, you know, I right now, again, flavor of the week financially this year has been really hard. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm pretty savvy and I don't care about, you know, working to make up money that I'm missing or whatever. I love working, but, um, this year is the first year that I felt, uh, like I'm just not making my ends meet. And, um, that's frustrating to me because, um, I'm old. I'm like almost 40 years old and I've been doing this a while and I didn't see it coming. And, um, Oh God, it's so frustrating. Um, when you feel like your business is actually doing pretty well and you're doing okay and it's just not enough. Um, Mm. and then you have to spend so much energy and so much time trying to figure out how to make that money. Um, and you, you like some days I'm like, I actually, can't ride my horses because I have to teach or I have to go whatever, sell my soul. Um, maybe I'll start, you know, donating some stem cells. I don't know, but it, it's, (laughs) it sucks. And, and, um, I literally am, I'm mad at myself because last year, this is the reason this is happening last year. I'm like, Oh my God, I think I'm finally making enough money. Like I felt okay. Like I wasn't panicking. I wasn't like running out of money every month. Um, I could pay all the bills that I needed to pay. Um, and I said that, and I think I took a break. I took a, a I relaxed and took a breath. Um, first mistake, you know, this is, this is the nation of hustlers right here. So, uh, I, I relaxed and it is a little bit, um, disheartening sometimes when you feel like, okay, sometimes you're like, all right, I could be working a little harder. Right. Okay. But when you feel like, man, I really am working as hard as I possibly can, (laughs) something Mm -hmm. else has to change because this business model is not sustaining. Um, and that's kind of what I'm dealing with right now. Um, and, and that's really frustrating because I do feel like I, I have, you know, I had it a little bit sorted, but, um, yeah, it's not been a very good year money wise. I know, I don't know if I'm the only one, um, feeling that way, but, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I, d- I, I doubt that I am. Yeah. I appreciate your honesty. I, you know, I think the financial part of the sport is difficult for a lot of people. Um, especially like you said, I don't think that you're the only one. I think that <laughs> what, what's going on, uh, in, in the world right now, it's a little, you know, financially can be very stressful at the moment. It's very stressful. And it's like, you know, and then you see, and I, you know, I do not want to come across as like a boomer, but you see these, these kids, you know, looking for working student jobs and this generation 
you know, we all make fun of them, but you're probably part of it. I don't know how old you are, but they're really good about sticking up for themselves, which, you know, generations prior are not. Um, but you know, there's a big argument right now. I don't know if this is the same in the hunters, but, um, in eventing the working student position is kind of a dying position. And, you know, for very obvious reasons, right? Like the job is hard. You make no money. Um, not very many kids have, have the ability to kind of not make money for a year. Um, and you know, not everyone is great to work for, for sure. But, and you know, people are, you know, there's this huge internet fight right now about, um, Mm. that, that people aren't making enough money or paying what people are worth. And, you know, the work, the workload is too much and all this stuff. A hundred percent agree, a hundred percent agree, but the industry is still the same. Like if I tell Mm -hmm. my kids, they only have to work four days a week or five days a week and they only have to work eight hours a day and I'm going to pay them top dollar. Well, I'm going to have to hire like three other people and I'm going to have to quadruple my rates because the horses yeah. are still horses, right? Yeah. So <laughs> you, 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 they still need the same amount of care. Um, someone has to do that care and, and it's just an unrealistic, at least right now in my brain, I don't know what the answer is. Um, I know I, mm-hmm. I would pay my kids all of the money I had. Um, I am paying them all of the money that I have actually. Um, <laughs> because, you know, as the professionals, at least in eventing, again, I don't know how the other sports work um, in the barns, but we're not making any money either. So it's, mm-hmm. it's not like we're hoarding all of the money and not giving yeah. it away. It's like, there is no money to give around. Um, yeah. Because the the again the business model doesn't really work um, yeah. from a b- purely business standpoint, um, mm-hmm. and and you know I have conversations with myself while I'm driving. Okay, Megan, emotional creature, right? We do this sport because we have emotional attachment to these horses, right? This is an emotional career. Um, but if I were to take my like really take my emotion completely out of the equation which is almost impossible for me to do. What would I do right now with my business? <laughs> and the answer is really shocking, right? Like it's like, oh, well, that's a terrible idea. I'm never doing that, you know? So, I right. think that's why we all struggle so much is because we do not make business decisions 100%, right? Some of us are definitely better at it than others. Um, but there is always some emotional component um, yeah. that then you know, in, in real life, okay, no businessman or woman would ever make that decision <laughs> for the, for the business. Like the business needs a completely other direction. Um, right. my dad called me the other day, my dad's 70 years old. I'm 38 years old. And well, he's almost 70. Sorry, dad. Um, and mm-hmm. he's like, so what's your plan? don't you don't you love that question what I was dying I actually cried first because I was like are you serious um but yeah he he was serious like what is your plan why are you doing this still like don't no he he doesn't want me to quit he want he doesn't know why I still want to ride he's like wouldn't you be so much better yeah. yeah. He's like, you would make so much more money if you just taught, was a coach. And I was like, a hundred percent agree. But the whole point of me coaching is so that I can ride. Also people mm-hmm. like to ride with coaches that are still competing. Yeah. Like, um, mm-hmm. you know, it keeps me more relevant to the sport. 
So it, it was pretty funny. I was like, I don't, what is my plan? What? <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't ask know. me that question. Don't ask me. We don't have a plan, dad. It's the same. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, you do have to at some point be like, okay, something has to give, yeah. you know, and mm-hmm. I'm kind of at the point where I think I'm getting ready to enter in kind of a transition with Anakin kind of stepping down. I'm going to sell my middle horse is going into dressage land. And then I've got, you know, one baby that I'm on the fence about keeping or selling purely financial reasons. Like I love her. I want to keep her. So mm-hmm. I think I've got to kind of shift, get some horses off the books and then maybe come in, you know, into the spring with, um, a little bit of a more, you know, solid <laughs> budget, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what people that, really that do. That plan, but. as your dad speaks of. Yeah, the plan. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, just last question. What is uh, next for you? What's on your radar? You, I know you said Kentucky in the spring. Do you have anything between then and now? Yes. Yeah, so, um, uh, like I said, if Anakin's still okay, he's headed to Morven Park. Um, I'm going to do the three-star there. Um, just mm-hmm. as a fitness run to make sure he's still feeling good. Um, and he'll go to um, Terra Nova four star in November. Um, mm-hmm. And then my second horse already, who's switching careers into dressage land, he heads to the regional championships next week in um, Virginia at the Virginia Horse Center, which is going to be hilarious because fish out of water. Um, uh, <laughs> I can't wait. I ride on the flat with Lauren Chumley um, and I told her I was going to show up to my first level championship in my um, tails and my long coat. Um, and <laughs> Oh man, it's going to be funny. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, my goal of next week is to not get yellow carded for being an event rider. Um <laughs> And then uh, I've got a bunch of students doing a lot of local stuff in the next few weeks. I've got some clinics on the calendar. Um, I was really hoping I could make it down to Fair Hill, but I actually think I have to work that weekend now. Um, Again, emotional versus... Yeah. Yeah. So I might go down for dressage. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of my... The spring. We've got a show, I think, almost every single weekend um, until the end of the calendar, which is like the middle of November. Um, and we go to Florida in that time. So between November 1st and 10th, we'll be going down to Ocala and then we'll have a little break. And then the real craziness begins. Um, so, you know, my hope is that I can sell my dressage horse and save a little bit of money this winter and go get something a little bit further along in the spring. Um, cause I have kind of a little bit of a gap between Anakin and a five-year-old who hasn't competed yet. So (laughs) I need to fill in the gaps a little bit. Um, But, you know, it's all fun. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time again to speak with me. This has been a wonderful conversation. It's been great to get to know you better. Yes, thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode with Megan Kepferly. And a big thank you to the sponsor of this week's episode, Bowringer Engelheim. Learn more at bowringer-angelheim.com. You can subscribe to the Practical Horseman podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Also, tune into our mini-sode series, The Fod Pod, 
where you'll hear audio lessons from our favorite Practical Horseman On Demand clips. At Practical Horseman On Demand, you can enjoy hundreds of how-to videos and get insider access to exclusive interviews and lectures, slow motion demonstrations, and step-by-step tutorials taught by top-level pros in the hunter, jumper, equitation, and eventing disciplines. When you tune into the FOD pod, listen closely for a promo code for 15% off your Practical Horseman On Demand subscription. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. I'm Julia Boutenhouse, and you've been listening to the Practical Horseman Podcast.